Would you take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Habakkuk? I appreciate so much that we had the scripture reading there this morning because it gives you a chance to find the book of Habakkuk. Boy, that's tough for some of us. We were opening gold leaf on the edges that hadn't been opened before. The book of Habakkuk is a little obscure. It's a part of the Bible uh, that we call the minor prophets. We know that our Bible is not written out in chronological form as far as the compilation of the books. The books are not laid out in chronological form, but they're there in the Bible according to category or genre. You have, of course, the books of Moses. You have uh, historical books, books of wisdom then, or poetic books. You come to the major prophets, and then after the major prophets or the minor prophets, and because it's baseball season, we think of minor league, major league, and all the minor guys, they didn't quite make it there, but you'll keep trying, you'll get there. Um, but in reality, it's just, it's all categorized together. The minor prophets, uh, just as weighty as the major prophets. But in the minor prophets, it's important to understand when it is that they wrote. If you're familiar with Old Testament history, you're familiar with the fact that Israel at one time was a united nation, a united kingdom. The last time that would happen would be under King Solomon. And then after Solomon's demise, his son reigned and Israel then split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, uh, ten and a half tribes there, often referred to as Israel. You have the southern kingdom, two and a half tribes there, called Judah, Israel and Judah. So it's important when we see the word Israel, are we talking about the united Israel? Or are we talking about then the northern kingdom? And the minor prophet uh, Habakkuk is a prophet to Judah. He's writing to the southern kingdom. At the time that he writes the northern kingdom, because of the rebellion against God, they'd already been taken into captivity. They'd been, they'd been dispersed by the Assyrians. In the southern kingdom, they're supposed to learn by, by God's uh, judgment in the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom doesn't learn. In the northern kingdom, you understand, they didn't have any godly kings. The northern kingdom was reigned by an ungodly king followed by another ungodly king. It seemed like it was a contest of wickedness that was going on in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom of Judah, you'd have a godly king followed by an ungodly king followed by a godly king. It just seemed like constant pendulum swings. One thing I appreciate about Habakkuk is its candidness, his candidness. We have a tendency to assign virtue at times to people in the Bible thinking they never wrestled with things. But Habakkuk had some things to wrestle with. In fact, his very name means wrestler. His name speaks of an, of an ardent embrace. And that's how they would wrestle, hand to hand. You feel the breath of your opponent on the back of your neck. You are eye to eye. Habakkuk was wrestling with some things. I remember reading the story of a four-year-old boy out in a sandbox. His dad was sitting on the porch of their house reading his Bible, and he's looking over, and he had built this sandbox for his boy, and it was a good-sized sandbox. But that four-year-old was having some trouble. Now, you know, you put a boy in a sandbox at four years old, he's got a construction project going on. He's making roads and he's building little mountains to dig tunnels through. Every rock becomes a car. Every stick becomes a truck. But his construction project came to a halt. There was an obstacle. There was a huge rock. He thought, not a problem. I'll just get this rock out of the way. And so he tried with his might to lift the rock out of the sandbox. It wasn't lifting. It wasn't moving. He thought maybe his legs would be stronger. He's kicking against the rock, and it's not moving. 
And finally, in frustration, having, uh, having tackled this thing for 15 minutes, which is a lifetime to a four-year-old, in frustration, he leans back. I want to visit him at the end of the message. If I forget, please, somebody let me know he's there because we're going to leave him in the sandbox for a few moments. You and I have some rocks in our sandbox, some things we just can't understand. Habakkuk is a book of the Bible that helps us know what to do when it seems like God's not making sense. To let us know what to do when it seems like God's not acting very godlike. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, notice what the Bible says. The burden of Habakkuk, uh, the burden which Habakkuk, the king, the, uh, the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry on, out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Habakkuk, he has a burden put on his heart. God opens his eyes to the wickedness that he sees in Judah, and he cries out against it. And he says, I cry out against it. I warn them of your judgment that's coming. You're not pleased with the things that are going on. You will intervene. There's a payday someday. I cry out, but Lord, you're not doing anything. This doesn't make sense. And then God responds to Habakkuk. I love what he says. God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to do something marvelous in your eyes. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And you're not going to believe it. Look at verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come, uh, uh, come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they heap dust and take it. So God says, okay, Habakkuk, here's what's going to happen. I've got a nation on the horizon. They're the Chaldeans. They're fierce. They're swifter than leopards. And when they come in, they just devour everything that they come in contact with. And so Habakkuk, I will judge. I'll use the Chaldeans. And you know Habakkuk says, in so many words, Habakkuk says, I don't believe it. But God told him he wouldn't believe it. Habakkuk has a rock in his sandbox. Rock number one is every time I, I cry out, God just doesn't do anything. Rock number two, the Chaldeans are coming along. The Chaldeans are a wicked and vile people. How is it that a holy, righteous God is going to use a wicked, vile people to judge his people? 
And so we come now to verse 11, excuse me, verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk says this doesn't make sense. This isn't in keeping with your character. How are you going to use the, the, the Chaldeans, the wicked, vile Chaldeans, the sinful Chaldeans, and use them against the people? That, I mean, we're bad, but we're not as bad as they are. It just doesn't make sense. And all that by way of introduction, when, when there are times in our lives where it seems like God is not making sense, I want to suggest to you a fourfold approach that Habakkuk uses, and I love this. A fourfold approach that Habakkuk uses because none of us gets out of life without some trauma. None of us gets out of life without some storms and some dark days. Some of you have had more than your fair share of difficulties and struggles. Uh, some of you seated in this room, you had to grow up a little faster than your, than your peers did. While they were enjoying their childhood, you had to make some adult decisions. Why, if it wasn't for, for you, maybe you, were in a, maybe you were in a home where there was a, a health issue, a long ongoing health issue. Maybe you were in a home where there was some addictions, some, some bondage. Maybe, maybe you were in a home where things were um, uh, the result of a financial reversal. And you were the one that had to make the lunches for your siblings. You were the one that had to make sure they were doing their homework. If you didn't do the laundry, your clothes wouldn't have been cleaned. They thought you were just being bossy. So all of us have some trauma that comes into our lives. What do we do when that happens? I want to show you just four things very quickly as to what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk, number one, Habakkuk, number one, and I love this. When God throws a rock in Habakkuk's sandbox, Habakkuk, number one, remembers remembers, remembers. Say that word with me, remembers. He remembers what he knows about God. He gets back to the things that he knows are true about God. And what does he say? He says here in verse 12, thou, uh, art thou not from everlasting? God is eternal. He says, uh, O Lord, my God, mine holy one, God is holy. And he, he understands we shall not die. Uh, God's desire is not that the southern kingdom of Israel, that Judah would be wiped out. No, but instead that they would be corrected. So he remembers that God has a plan. He says here in verse 12, Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously. So he says, you are a holy God. You are a righteous God. You always do what is right at the right time, he goes back to the things that he knows about God. I grew up in Huntington Beach, California. Huntington Beach, California. We never had any snow in Huntington Beach, California. Had, didn't have any snow. Have rain and fog, but no snow. I remember I was a freshman in college, and it had snowed on Saturday night. And I went out of the dormitory to go board a bus to go to church, and I had never walked in snow before. I'd never walked on ice before. 
And I found myself soon, soon seated in the white stuff. And I thought, there's got to be a, a plan for this. There has to be a way. I don't see other people sitting down unintentionally, so there's got to be a way to get around. So I would look for, for dry places. I would look for a clump of grass. Aha, that's a safe place to stand, to get a step, a foothold. Some people, they love living in slippery places. They love living in slippery places. And I, I realize that there may be some times when that is appropriate, but you always have to get back to the sure things. You've always got to get back to the things that are true, the things that you know. Get back to the fact that, that God is holy and that God is pure and that God always does what is right and he does not mean us harm, but his desire is that we would grow and that we would move forward. God is for us who can be against us. And so get back to those things that you know about God. And so that's what, that's what Habakkuk does. He gets back to the, he remembers what he knows about God. Number two, he applies those things that he remembers to his situation. He takes what he knows about God and he applies it to his situation. He applies it to what he has learned. And sometimes the wrinkles get ironed out with that. When we take what we remember about God and we apply it to our situation, there are times we go, oh, yeah, of course, this is perfectly in keeping with God's character. I understand now why he's allowing this. I understand now the direction he's going in. I'm on board. I'll cooperate. So he remembers. He applies. He remembers. He applies. And so when God is, is seemingly behaving in a way that's not very godlike and we can't understand it and we're perplexed and we're bewildered and we're confused, go back to the things that are not confusing. Get back to the things that you know that you know that you know about God. And then apply them to your situation. Apply them to this, this thing that doesn't make sense. Sometimes the wrinkles get ironed out. But not always. So Habakkuk, he remembers, he applies, and then the third thing is, he is still. Well, look what the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. You know, I'm just going to watch and see what God does. I remember I apply, I watch. I'm not going to help him out. I'm not going to try to fix things. I'm going to watch. And sometimes we get into trouble because we roll up our sleeves and think we have to help God out. But old Habakkuk teaches us, no, sit back and watch for a minute. See what God's going to do. Remember, apply, watch. Remember, apply, watch. Watch. Can we say those three words? Remember, apply, watch. You say, why do preachers have us repeat things like that? What's that about? Because we remember things when we repeat them. And besides that, you're going to be going home from church today. Your children will be in the back seat. And like every, everyone that, that you know, goes to church and they've got their kids in the back seat, you'll be driving along, it'll be silent. So to break the silence, you ask the question that gets asked every Sunday morning. So kids, what'd you learn in church today? Well, if they weren't paying attention, they might say, uh, the Bible. 
Amen. Children's church workers are teaching the Bible. Good. Well, kids, what did you learn from the Bible? Uh, we learned about the Lord. Good answer. But you know, after a while, Junior catches on. He says, hey, Dad, Dad what would you learn today in church? <laughs> we learned the Bible. <laughs> well, today we got an answer. Hey, we learned to remember, we learned to apply, we learned to watch, and then fourthly, we learned to trust. Because there are times we remember the things that we know that we know that we know about God. We apply it to our situation, sometimes the wrinkles get smoothed out, sometimes they don't. And then we watch, we see what God is going to do, and then finally, we just have to trust. And this is what the Bible teaches us in verse 4. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Oh, man, that truth gets echoed throughout the word of God, doesn't it? In the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. What is that faith? It is trust. It is trusting God, trusting his word, trusting his character. The just shall live by faith. So we remember, or we go to the things that we know that we know about God. That's why it's important to be in the word of God on a daily basis. That's why it's important to to be studying the word of God and understanding what God is like through the scriptures. That's how he reveals himself to us. And then it's important to take what we learn and apply it to our situation Sometimes the wrinkles get ironed out, sometimes they don't. So what do we do? We watch, and then, and then we trust. This worked for Habakkuk. Look at, the, look at chapter 3, the scripture reading this morning, chapter 3, verse 17. And Habakkuk, Habakkuk is going to trust. And it says here in verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Pause there for a moment. That's a pretty dire situation. There are no crops in the field. There's no livestock in the stalls. That's a dire situation. But notice what Habakkuk does. It says here in verse 15, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoice and joy. I thought those were synonymous. I thought they were the same thing. But I appreciate the fact that the Spirit of God never wastes a word. He never throws anything in there as filler. It's not something just taking up space. So there must be some kind of a difference, some kind of a reason that he put those in there to joy and rejoice. One speaks of something that's inside. One speaks of something that's outside. Joy is that inside. Rejoice is that outward demonstration of inward joy. One man that's a Hebrew scholar suggested this, that the word for joy is from a primitive root that means to jump or to leap. To jump or to leap. And there are times when that's what happens. We, we, we jump and leap. Sometimes there's a high five. When you're by yourself, it's awkward, but you get those. And the word, the word for rejoice has at its root to spin or to twirl. Now, men don't twirl. Men don't twirl. But we might spin. 
So, so Habakkuk, there's nothing in the field, there's nothing in the stall. But you say there's joy and rejoicing. What is that in? Notice what, what he says. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet. You understand that's a, a, a deer called a red deer that lives in that, right, that region. He says he will make me to walk upon mine high places. I love that. He takes the stumbling blocks and makes them stepping stones. In the desert where I live in beautiful Yucca Valley, California, Beautiful Yucca Valley, California. It's near Palm Springs. And in the mountain range of Palm Springs, the Santa Rosa Mountains, there is a mountain sheep that lives in those mountains. You wouldn't think anything lives in the mountains, but there are mountain sheep that live in those mountains. And they are amazing. I would watch, I, I, I saw three mountain sheep standing on what looked like a, a very sharp incline. And there was, it looked like, it looked like a, a two adult sheep and a, a little baby sheep, juvenile sheep, I guess we'd say, juvenile. And that thing was jumping around without any fear at all. It's amazing how their feet are designed by the creator to grip where they are. And that's what Habakkuk says. He says, my stumbling blocks will become stepping stones. Remember, apply. Watch, trust. In 2005, we had a rock thrown in our sandbox. Again, nobody gets out of life without trauma. October 2005, October 15, 2005, and now where we live, we do not have a street light on our street. In fact, my children never heard me say once, all right, kids, come in when the street light comes on. That's what my mom would tell us. When the streetlight comes on, you need to get in the house. Okay. They never, no, we'd have to say something like, when the moon rises. But uh, it's dark where we live at night with a, on a moonless night. You can see stars stretching across the horizon, from horizon to horizon. It's just beautiful. And usually uh, in the desert, when people um, are in their homes, it's like you're in your castle. You bring up the drawbridge, throw the alligators in the moat, you're just by yourself. But on that night, we had a knock at the door at about 8.30 p.m. I thought, who's visiting us at 8.30 p.m.? Maybe it's a couple, married couple, that is having a struggle, and they, they're coming by for some help. They couldn't call. Maybe, maybe it's a neighbor. Our neighbors have never needed anything, but maybe it's a neighbor. And I looked out through the little peephole, turned on the porch light. And on the other, other side of the threshold was an army chaplain and an army captain. I opened the door and they, the, the captain said, are you, uh, are you one of the parents of Specialist Timothy Watkins? I said, I am. They said, we have some news about your son. Would you mind if we come in? Our boy had joined the army in 2003. He prayed a great deal about it. We prayed a great deal about it. And as he went into the army, we understood we were entering into a conflict as well. And, and, but we had peace. 
I remember our boy at five years old. I remember it distinctly. The auditorium that I was teaching our midweek Bible study in had an accordion wall in the back. And on the other side of that accordion wall was our children's ministry. And, and I remember that during the time of invitation, what would happen is the, the accordion wall would part just a little bit and a fella, uh, a, 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 a guy or girl, adult leader would slip out and they'd have a child with them and they'd sit down on these little chairs and they'd take the scriptures and open them up and show boys and girls how they could be saved. And I remember I looked up one night, there's my five-year-old son, blonde hair, blue eyes a big, tough Marine who was stationed at El Toro at the time, big, tough Marine, taking his Bible and tenderly showing my boy how he could know Christ as his Savior. And I remember that event, and that's particularly helpful and comforting, as that chaplain and captain told us around the table, my other four children were home at that time, I have, uh, we have three boys and two girls, Rachel and Thomas, Rebecca and Jonathan, and we gathered around the table and they began to tell us how that our son Timothy was on combat maneuvers earlier that day. Iraqis were voting on a new constitution, voting on democracy. There were two hot spots in Iraq, two red zones. Ramadi was one of them. Their Bradley fighting vehicle had stopped for just a moment and in an instant, an improvised explosive device shredded the back end of that Bradley fighting vehicle. And my son and four of his brother's soldiers went into eternity. I remember standing on the platform the day that we dedicated our son. It was more of a dedication of my wife and I that we would raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I remember standing there saying, Lord, whatever you desire to do with our son, he is yours. That doesn't save him. We understand that. But Lord, we just want to raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so I remembered that particular day. I remembered the day of his salvation. I remembered when he went off to college. I remember when he came back to the West and went to school out in the West. And I remember how they went to work at a camp just serving God and developing that heart for God. I remember hearing of fellows that he'd invite to church. We had a rock dropped in our sandbox. And I remember, too, as we gathered around the table that day, we decided we're not going to ask God why. Do you realize that my heart is twisted enough that if I asked God why, if he gave me a reason, I'd give him 50 other ways he could have done things differently. So I'm not going to ask him why, but I will ask him what. What do you want us to do with this? How do you want us to respond? We have some friends of ours who, who uh, do not yet know Christ. We wanted them to have a front row seat to see how God comes to comfort his own. We wanted them to have a front row seat to see that God is worth serving still. So we got that boy in the sandbox still. 
You know, he's laying there. He's had a fit. He's tried to get rid of the rock. Not happening. He's got his eyes closed, and pretty soon, there's a shadow that passes over his face. He opens his eye. It's his dad. He said, what's the matter, son? Daddy, there's this rock in the sandbox. I can't get rid of it. Have you used all your strength? Dad, I used my arms and legs and hands, and I cannot get rid of this rock. You used all your strength? Daddy, I used all my strength. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You didn't ask me to move the rock. My strength is your strength. Daddy, you would do that for me? I would do that. Daddy, would you take care of this rock? so that his boy wouldn't feel like a total wimp. He had to struggle a little bit, you know. But he got that rock out over the side, and the construction project could resume again. There are times where there are rocks, and we have trouble dealing with them. And in frustration, we throw ourselves back. And then, in a sense, you see the shadow of the Father. Talks about, where in the book of Psalms, talks about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. It talks about uh, the, the abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. And we think, okay, I can, I can handle this with your strength, God. I can handle it with your strength. Now, you and I, we've often said, what do people do without the Lord? And you may be like that today. What do people do without the Lord to go through those things? A lot of times they just anesthetize themselves against the difficulties. A lot of times that's what they do. Anything that will numb the pain. And that numbing does not compare to the comfort that God gives. You may be here today not knowing Christ is your Savior. And our prayer is that you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. He sent his son to die on your behalf. And our prayer is that you would receive Christ as your Savior. And then you'd be in the place where you could understand the comfort of God. Remember, apply, watch, trust. Only trust him. Only trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Habakkuk's testimony. We thank you, Father, for the plan that his book lays out there for us. Thank you that he was candid in his own struggle. Thank you that we, Lord, can learn something about our struggles. But it all, it all, there's nothing more primary than that, than that initial struggle that when we, when we see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, we finally say, enough, I, I want Christ. I need to turn to Christ. I need to receive him as my Savior. And Lord, it may be today in this very room, there'd be somebody that, that needs Christ, and no doubt there is. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And maybe tonight or today, God would speak to your heart. What kind of a struggle are you moving through? What kind of a struggle are you facing? And maybe today you'd say, oh, dear God, I need to trust you. What I'm going through doesn't make sense. It seems out of keeping with your character. I need to trust you. Lord, help me to trust you. If you're without Christ this morning, would you, would you turn to him? Accept Christ as your Savior. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning.
As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you have the testimony that you know Christ? Can I see your hand? You say, I am a saved person. I know the Lord is my Savior. Here's my hand. Can I see it? Hi. Amen. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Maybe you weren't able to raise your hand. You are in the right place. First Baptist is a place that cares about you as a reflection of God's care for you and love for you. This is the place where you can know Christ as your Savior, have your sins washed away, begin that relationship with God. And in just a moment, we're going to invite you to, to come. We're in just a moment, we're going to invite you to trust Christ. In just a moment, there'll be folks that'll be happy to take the word of God and show you how you can be saved. And then Christian friend, won't you trust the Lord? You'd say, oh, there's some rock in my sandbox, but oh, dear God, you can give me the ability to deal with that. Heavenly Father, it's time to do something with what we've heard. We pray you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen.